0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 18. Now then, chapters 18 through 20 give a lot of information and things that... I'm not going to read every verse. In fact, I'll read very few. But I will refer to the verses that I'll make the comments on. Because some of them are very... Uh, hard to to uh, deal with in a mixed congregation. And then if you have some young folks around too, and some people, the older ones are uh, sometimes more embarrassed than the young ones, but be that as it may, there's some things there that probably be best read at home. And I'll refer to the verses and you can be looking at them. And I'll make a few comments on each section of verses and I believe that that will be good for these chapters here and I'm anxious to get to uh, the twenty first chapter for there we'll be studying the feasts and uh, of Israel and there will be more applicable to what we'll see in the New Testament, especially the resurrection and then things uh, related to New Testament uh, eras. And that will be really better for us. So, uh, I'm going to refer to the verses beginning in chapter 18, and verses 1 and 2. In fact, let's read verse 1 and 2. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. Now then, The first thing he's speaking of here is that he wants Moses to speak to the children of Israel, and under the name of the fact that in this statement, I am the Lord your God, and you find the repetition of this declaration, I am Jehovah your God all through this chapter and the next, and it gives us an emphatic sanction of the series of commands that God uh, gave, gave to Israel and Of course, they are his peculiar people. He's spoken of as a peculiar people. And you'll find it in, if you'll glance at the Bible there and just turn in this chapter as well as the next, we won't turn to all the places. But if you'll notice in verse 1, he says, I'm the Lord your God. In verse 4, he says, uh, I am the Lord your God. In other words, verse 4, you shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I'm the Lord your God. Right on down in verse, uh, five, the last part of it. And verse six, the last part of it. And on down in verse, uh, uh, well, I thought it was another one there right away, but it's on down. In chapter 19, verse one, uh, verse two, you have, for I'm the Lord your God, am holy. And then verse four, and then, uh, right on down in the 19th chapter, verse, uh, 10 and verse uh, 12, verse uh, 14, verse uh, 16, verse uh, 18, and you just go, go on and on. So there's a repetition of that statement all through these commands and all through these instructions to Israel. And He had separated them from nations round about as a peculiar people. Now if you have chapter 18, I'll give you specific verses. And if you look at these verses, we'll make a comment or two on each one as we go along. But I, as I said, I'm not going to read all of them because uh, we get into some pretty uh, uh, private type of things and uh, that uh, you need to read for yourself. So let's look at verse, uh, two, uh, verse 3. It says, After the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt, shall you not do... And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall you not do, neither shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. And uh, so we find that the Egyptians appear from the testimony of ancient writers to have gone beyond most other nations in allowing and encouraging uh, the unions that are condemned in this chapter, unholy unions, sexual, uh, illicit, various things that you find that God condemns in this chapter, and the Egyptians had gone even beyond that. And so God therefore condemns them. In verses 4 through 6, uh, the word uncover denotes specially the marriage union. And you'll find that. Uh, God condemns uh, many things in in this relationship. And then, of course, you get on down to uh, several verses. I believe that's uh, let's see if I can point them out. Verse uh, 21 and it says, Now shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire of Moloch, neither shalt thou profane uh, the name of thy, thy God, for I am I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord. Now, Moloch, of course, was also called Milcom, M-I-L-C-O-M, or Moloch, M-O-L-O-C-H, is M-O-L-E-C-H. And it's also spelled in other places, M-A-L-C-H-A-M. And it was the king or fire god of the Amorites. This was the fire god of the Amorites. And like Baal of the Phoenicians, it originally stood for the sun. Now children were consecrated to this idol by passing through the fire and were often burned alive. And that's why He said, you will not let any of your children, any of your seed pass through the fire as a sacrifice. And so we find that that God condemned that. And then another thing in this chapter we'll find when you get on down from verses... 22 through 30, a whole section of verses. And you can glance at all of them, but I'll just make the comments on those verses because, as I said, it'd be best if you read them privately. We find that the standard of all times for us to live by is the Word of God. And by it, all the questions were to be solved. And all the directions were given. And by it, the judgment of God was pronounced He pronounced judgment on things that He had condemned in these illicit and ungodly and licentious relationships that are spoken of here. And as I said before, I could read all of them, but I don't want to be embarrassed myself and I don't want you to be embarrassed by them. And furthermore, it's not that any word of God is not necessary. All of His word is necessary. And... Uh, Nothing should be passed over and you should study it carefully. But uh, I have a reason for doing what I'm doing. And then we find that uh, our practices and our opinions to be right must conform to the Word of God. We cannot just decide uh, that this is right and this is uh, okay. In a promiscuous society like we have today, all these things that we read of Many of them are condemning what's taking place today in our society. And some of it, either from adultery to fornication to uh, unreasonable, terrible relationships that you'll find described there. And this chapter deals with the shameful pollution of the human heart. It's because the human heart is so polluted that... God has to deal with it in these words. If if men were not so sinful, He wouldn't even have to bring these things up. But God put them forth in His writing to show us that He does condemn certain things. This chapter forbids intermarriage within families, and of course we call that incest. Uh, in the New Testament, there are examples of where, uh, in uh, I believe First Corinthians chapter five, where Paul gets on to the Corinthians. He says, uh, there's one among you that has committed such sin that is not even to be named among the Gentiles, the heathen. And, and he goes on and tells about that sin that's committed. And he said to put that one on notice and, and, and exclude him from, from your fellowship. If you have knowingly a person that's in an incestus or in a terrible, uh, adulterous situation in the church... Professing to be uh, one of us, and also uh, we cannot have fellowship with an individual like that, and he needs to be uh, brought to it, needs to be talked about among the brethren, the leaders of the church, the deacons, and the people, and talk to the man and try to straighten out things in his life, and if it's not possible, it needs to be dealt with. And then later on, after that was dealt with in the book of 2 Corinthians, this man had evidently repented. And Paul says that he had overmuch sorrow. And uh, he tells them to forgive him and restore him. People can be restored. But on the other hand, there are certain things that God will not put up with. And He's against. And uh, it's it's pointed out in this chapter. It forbids... uh, And any adulterous union. What if God's Word was really taken seriously today? You find that on every hand, don't you? Adultery and fornication and sexual sins all over the place. And uh, seem to be people don't even think about it. And in the old days, well, uh, it was different. The laws even would condemn to a certain extent and put in prison. People that committed some of these crimes that are uh, being done today, and uh, I know my my dad was an officer, and I remember times when he uh, could even go in and uh, take a person that was breaking some of these things, laws that God put down here, and uh, could prosecute them. You can't do that today. It's, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's all over the country. And so, uh, God condemns it though, and even though we have laws now that are so tolerant with it. By the way, there are laws on the book against a lot of these things too that are not enforced. In in many states and in our nation, that are just simply not enforced. And so, this chapter deals and forbids with any adulterous union. Uh, This chapter forbids the sacrifice of human beings for religious purposes. That's what it's talking about. This Moloch being sacrificed to this God of Moloch. Uh, And uh, it it, uh, forbids profanity. And it forbids all the baser sins. Baser sins that you find. And it teaches that sin... Demands retribution. So in this chapter, the eighteenth chapter, you'll find all these things spoken of and brought out and dealt with. And then when you come over to the nineteenth chapter, I want to give you a summary of this one too. Uh, verses one through three, and you glance at these verses as we look at them, and I may read some of them, part of them. Let's do read verses one through three. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speaking to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and saying unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall fear every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Reverence. he admonishes here honor to parents. Every man, his father and mother, are to be respected. We find some other comments on the the aged people too. The elders are to be respected. But uh, in verse 4, Turn ye not unto the idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. So here it forbids idolatry. Idolatry was prominent in the Old Testament. And many of the children of Israel were led into idolatry by the nations round about them. That's why God called them to be a separated people from many of these nations. Because He knew, He says, lest they draw your heart away from the Lord your God. You remember the great King Solomon? The great King Solomon? And he was such a king, and uh, Jesus refers to the glory of Solomon. Solomon? and how uh, he was given much wealth and riches and prosperity and so on. But at the end of his life, he had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a lot of women, isn't it? Way too many. Way too many, somebody said. Okay. And then, the thing about it is, they turned away... The Bible declares that they turned away his heart from God. It wasn't, by the way, with all those, he only had one son, Rehoboam. So it was not for a lustful or sexual relationships, but it was for the fact that he wanted the power over all these nations round about him, and that's what he was seeking. And yet, in the midst of it, they turned his heart away from God. That's why God warns us as individuals to be separate people. You've heard me say many times, you know, if you run around with people, you, know, you have the idea, well, if I'll go with these people, they're not Christians, but they go to these places and they'll point out the saloons and gambling halls and different places and all the different kinds of things that are worldly. And just say, I'll just rub shoulders with them, and maybe I can witness to them and win them. You will not do any such thing. Because you have two strikes against you. The first place, you have a new nature, but you still have the old carnal nature. They do not have a new nature, but they have the carnal nature overflowing. And so you're more likely to submit to that lower side of your being than they are to be converted and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in some instances, there's always exceptions to the rule. Because sometimes it might work. But as a general rule, that's no way to win a lost person, a friend. The main way is for you to live a Christian life before them, and when they invite you to some place that's uh, not the place you ought to be, then you just turn around and say, well, I wish you'd go to church with me. We hear the Word of God preached down there. And uh, I wish you'd come with me and sit with me and listen to the Bible, or something like that. At least give them an opportunity to respond. And you'll come nearer being an influence to them. And they may not come at first. They may not come for a long while. And they may not come at all. I don't know that. But at least you will have a true testimony to where it would give them opportunity. And don't be this person, do as I say and not as I do. Because you go and do what they do. And and you may say a different thing and tell them what's right but if you're not doing it yourself it's not going to have much of an impression upon them. So I'm just saying the only way that or the best way for you not the only way but the best way for you to lead someone else is to be an example in word and in deed. Not only in word but and in deed and in truth. And the Bible teaches that that's the way we ought to live. Now <clears throat> we find that uh this uh Where do we get that fourth verse? Uh, That God forbids idolatry in every form and fashion, of course. And you know in the New Testament, Paul says covetousness is idolatry. Paul makes the statement that covetousness is idolatry. And by the way, he said, I had not known sin except the law had said thou shalt not covet. Let me turn to look at Romans chapter 7, if you will. I want to show you something here. Book of Romans, chapter 7. I want you to notice. He said in verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Well, that's impossible for the law to be sin. or It's unthinkable that the law is sin. Nay, he says, no. I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You see, when God's Word said, Thou shalt not covet, it brought to light what sin really is. And in another place, He said, covetousness is idolatry. But So we find that it all works together to show us where we're condemned by not doing what is right in the sight of God. Now then, let's back to Leviticus 19, if you will. Now, verses 5 through 8 forbids offering unacceptable sacrifices. You cannot offer sacrifices to God that are unacceptable. That's 19 verses 5 through 8. And then verses 9 and 10 forbids being selfish with the harvest. God said, you know, that you need to leave something. When you reap uh, the harvest of your land, that's verse 9. Look at verse 9. "...thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God." God says, you need to leave something for the poor. You need to leave something for the stranger. Remember the story of Ruth? What happened to her? She was gleaning in the field of Boaz. She found a, someone that was generous enough to let her glean after the sheaves. And that's what she was doing. And then Boaz, a the type of Christ, he told his laborers, he said, you let fall some handfuls on purpose for her. See, God will not only give you what is lawfully yours, but He'll give you above that And he says, give her some extra. That's what Jesus does for us. He not only gives us what is due to us, but He gives us what is beyond our due. That's grace, isn't it? And there's a whole story of Boaz and his love for Ruth. uh, Of grace. And of salvation. But anyway, let's go on with this. So, God in verse 9 and 10 forbids being selfish with the harvest. And then in verses 11 through 14, He says, uh, "...ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another." By the way, let me go back to that vineyard and that harvest field just a moment. I remember when I was uh, harvesting wheat with a combine out on the farm. You know, you go down and that old combine will not make a, just a square turn so that you'll get all of the wheat. You, make, you turn it at the corner and it leaves a strip when you turn. Every time you turn, there's another strip of wheat there. About so big. Well, a lot of the farmers will go back and they'll go up and down that corner with a heart, with the combine. Well, of course they get a lot more grain that way. But I wonder if the birds and uh, some of the uh, ones that do not are not able to to plant and harvest are not entitled to that, that extra, and the, the Lord said here that the corners of the field and gleanings were for the poor and the ones that are needy. Of course, I haven't seen any poor out there harvesting the corners, but nevertheless, uh, we should leave something for other people. The whole lesson is to leave something else for others besides ourselves. And we need to be that generous in in taking care of the poor and the needy and the stranger that is among us. Okay? And then now verse 11. That's where we started to pick up. You shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And you shall not swear by My name falsely, neither shalt Thou profane the name of, of Thy God. I am the Lord. Verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud Thy neighbor, neither rob him, Rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all the night until the morning. Look at that. We could go on. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Look at those verses again. It forbids thievery, stealing, dealing falsely, lying one to another, and swearing by his name falsely. False swearing. You know there are people that will swear by signing a contract. That's as much as taking the oath that you're going to agree to it. And they never have any intention of keeping it. Did you know there are people that when they sign their name to a contract, they don't care what it says. they got plenty of bucks to fight the poor guy. and, And they know that if they break the contract, he doesn't have enough money to pay lawyers to stick it out. And so, what they are going to do? What are they going to do? And if you say, preacher, that's not true. Well, I've dealt with people like that and I know from experience. I know it's true. I remember I was doing the job for one lady up in the Upper Canyon. And I do just as well when she signed that contract for a building that she had no intention of keeping it. Isn't that amazing? And sure enough, she didn't. Anyway, that's another story, but we find people are not serious about. Used to be, shook hands, agreed upon, pay you that much, you do that much work, is all said said and done, wasn't it? That's the way the old timers used to deal, and most of them got pretty well by with it. I mean, it usually worked out. Of course, there's always some crooks, but uh, you'll find that in any society. But on the other hand. Uh, we used to say a man's word is his bond. They used to teach us in the seminary that if we owed some debt at the bank or to an individual or whatever, that if you can't pay up, there may be you and had good intention. If you can't pay up, show up and tell them why. And uh, so I use that as a kind of a theme. If you can't pay up, show up. And then you can make arrangements or do something with the uh, the business at hand. So, we're taught to be honest in our dealings with one another. And that doesn't mean we're always able to do what we uh, intend to do at the time. We may have good intentions that we're just not able to fulfill. But if we're honest of heart, we'll go ahead and do what we can about the situation. And don't ever forget, honesty is the best policy. And that's why so many people get in trouble. They're dishonest. And if you tell of your failures right up front, you don't have to back them up with ten lies, do you? And that's what a lot of people do. They'll try to back up one with another one. And you know, they get bigger and bigger. I remember one time, and I won't call the name. But our house was built... <laughs> you, you don't like my stories, do you? Our house was built on little posts up here on Creesa Canyon. And it had big old 1x12 rough lumber for flooring. And you put them right together when you nail them down. And in about two months, you could stick your fingers right down through between each board. So you didn't have to worry about where you swept the dust or dustpan. You'd just sweep it and it'd go down through the crack anyway one of my little sisters and a friend were under the house and uh, mother looked down through the crack and, says, and called her name and you'd recognize them if I called her name but I'm not going to do that she says get out from under that house this little boy looked up and he says Miss Joyce we're not under here we're here he could have said, "We're not under there, but we're not under here." She's looking right straight down at him through those cracks. Anyway, uh, we need to to be truthful about everything and not try to lie and swear falsely. And uh, thou shalt not verse thirteen. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. Now look at the last part of verse 13. I was just going to glance over this, but there's too much good preaching here to pass it over too lightly. But look at the last part of verse 13. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee at night until the morning. In those days, they needed their wages on a daily basis because that may have been all they had. And so God protects the worker. He wants them to have enough to to buy their food, to keep on. Living. Whatever their standard of living was, he wanted it to be supplied. And when a man had worked all day, he was entitled to his wages before nightfall. It says, It shall not abide with thee all night. Have you ever worked for someone and they say, I'm going to pay you Saturday, and you don't know which Saturday? And uh, I've, I used to work for a fellow up here in Riosa. He was from down Texas. I could say Midland. And he was. And he flew in here from Midland with his little airplane. He'd fly up here. And he'd fly in to see how I was doing on the job. And he was always well pleased with the work. But Saturday morning, I would go. Uh, I should have had my money Saturday, uh, Friday evening because he flew up here and stayed. But Saturday morning, I'd go up to get my money and maybe have a wife and kids in the car, and we'd be going, wanting to go to Roswell. And I'd go up to the place and want my money to go in, to Roswell and take care of my family. And he'd him haw around there for about an hour. And he'd line out what all we, he wanted me to do next week. And sometimes it'd be eleven thirty or 12 before I could get my few dollars to go to Roswell. My kids and my wife sitting out in the car and waiting for me. And he was just that kind of a guy. Well, really, I would put in all of Saturday too, nearly. Saturday morning, trying to get my dollars. Well, now that's not really right, is it? And I think he finally realized it because uh, I didn't put up with it forever. But I did put up up with it longer than I should have because I had a family that I cared about quite a bit. And, you know, you can treat people right. You don't have to be that way in your dealings with other people. And, uh, well, to realize that the man that's working for you, he may have some things he wants to do as well. And that was a situation with myself. But, anyway, when you're trying to make a living and trying to pastor a church and work uh, a full-time at that and full-time at the church, well, sometimes you do a lot of things that you might not... Put up with otherwise, but uh, I think you know a lot of people know you're under that kind of pressure, and they take advantage of it. But anyway, it says here, the wages of him that is hired shall not abide with with thee all night until the morning. Verse fourteen: Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God, I am the Lord. Being rude to the deaf. Then in verse uh, fifteen. It says, uh, You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, for uh, thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. We need to be equal and fair with all people. We not show partiality. Verse 14 tells us we're not to be stumbling blocks to the blind either. Uh, You go on 15 through 19 and you'll find that uh, God forbids partiality, being partial to persons. God is no respecter of person. He forbids tail-bearing and busybodies and hating, hating neighbors or others. He admonishes us to rebuke sin. He forbids uh, carrying a grudge round about with us. We're not to carry a grudge. He forbids mixing the seeds of, of the land or of cattle either. All of these. Let's read it as we go along. Let's pick up with verse uh, 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tail-bearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy, thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt... In any wise, rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. You know, there's some people who just can't get over it, can they? You've heard people say, well, let's bury the hatchet. And they'll bury it, but they'll leave the handle sticking up about yea far. So they can make sure they know where it is. That's not burying the hatchet, is it? Forgiveness is to forget it and put it behind you. If it's a situation that you've had a misunderstanding, you can apologize and say, I'm sorry. And then if the other person, if, even if you're in the right, if the other person does what's right, he'll say, I'm sorry too. But if he doesn't, you can't help that. You can only be responsible for what you say and what you do. And try to reconcile situations. And I've been there and done that many times. But the thing about it is, we're to be honest with one another. And we're not to hold a bare grudge. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? So, ye shall uh, keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with uh, a diverse uh, kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed, neither shalt uh, a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. He does all this to teach separation. In fact, I have a whole message in the book of Deuteronomy on that. And uh, I think I've preached on it before, but anyway, uh, it's about the... uh, Seed that we mingle and the garments that we wear, and so on and so forth. And it was for the sake of teaching the children of Israel the uh, law of separation that he wanted them to give heed to. And uh, by the way, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22, look at verse 9. Deuteronomy 22, verse 9. It says, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Thou shalt not plow an ox with an ass. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of woolen and linen together. Now, why are these things? Why are these things given? Because God abhors mixed principles. He doesn't want... Us to have mixed principles. Mixed teaching. This seed pictures doctrine. Remember Jesus told us to beware of the doctrine of of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees that we just studied? You can't mix the doctrine of evil with the the true seed of the Word of God. God doesn't want it mixed together. And then of service. That's in verse 9. Verse 9 speaks of the doctrine. And then verse ten speaks of mixed uh, service. You have the ox and the ass together. This is forbidden. This is forbidden. Mixed service. You can't plow in that way. It's prohibited. But pl- plowing is good. But a yoke, they. Thing around the necks of an ox and an ass two different animals and types of animals plowing. Their gait is not the same. It's miserable for both of them. One of them was a clean animal and the other was unclean. And so you find that uh, when you do this, well, you cause problems. That's why Paul said in the New Testament, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So if you're going to have a business partner, you better get a Christian. Because the other fellow will not want to do business the same way you do. And you're going to have trouble down the line. You're going to have some scruples about the way you deal with people and he, he may not have any at all. I'm not saying all people are like that. I'm just saying to be on the safe side, have the right kind of a, of a yoke in your business life, and if you will let that be a lesson, and then mixed testimony. The garment speaks of mixed testimony. Mixed testimony. The garment is that which is outward. That's what people see, which everyone sees. And so your testimony has to be kept separate. All these things are good lessons and I think the best place is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has Christ with Belial? The truth of God with, and righteousness with uh, the unrighteous things. Fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness. Fellowship is on... You know what fellowship means? It means to have things in common. That we might be partakers of one another. Have fellowship with one another. It means just what it says. Fellowship. And you have to have that kind of a relationship. So anyway, I got off the track again, didn't I? Back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. Back to the book of Leviticus. And I was just really going to hurry through this tonight. But down in verse 19, "...you shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind, different kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed, neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee." We know there are certain garments today that are made of various kinds of... Uh, of uh, materials, fabrics, and so on. But for Israel, it was something to speak of separation for them. And even though we have garments now that are probably good to wear, the outward garment that we wear now doesn't uh, have the same message as it did for Israel. Because for them, God was teaching them a lesson of separation and not mixing things together. Not mixing one thing with another. Letting everything be after His kind. You know what we have now to mix a donkey and a horse. You get a mule. Right? The mule is stubborn. And by the way, the mule can't reproduce either. Mules do not reproduce mules. And on the opposite side of it, you have, have the opposite kind of a, a relationship between the two animals. Instead of the, the uh, ass and the mare, you have the uh, opposite side, and they're called genettes. The genny. The a genette. There's all kinds of mixtures that people make that are not especially good. Some will mix and some won't. And we have that in, in various uh, animals of God's creation. But there's usually an end of the line for it. And when you come to the end of that line, that's as far as it goes. So, anyway, uh, we have a lot of things that are taught here in the Word of God. Now, if you go on down and you read verse 22, uh, well, 20 through 22, uh, we find that there was within that passage of Scripture that God. Uh, demands the death penalty for adultery. And he tells it he will not put up with adultery. And then verses 23 through 28, he forbids cutting of the flesh. This was done by the Egyptians and still prevails among many of the Arabs and the Hindus. Cutting of the flesh. And you know there's a lot of people that put on have these tattoos nowadays. You go to a tattoo parlor, get that. Thank God He saved me from that when I was in the Navy. But uh, every sailor on every side of me was getting tattoos when we stopped in Honolulu or someplace or on, in San Diego. You just got to have a tattoo. Well, it's alright for some people, I suppose, but God, God wants us to be like we are. You know, I'm thinking of the fact that uh, Before my wife passed away and she knew she was going to go, she says, and she's got all kinds of beautiful jewelry. She said, I don't want any jewelry on me. You see, a lot of people that are buried with their jewelry, you know, beautiful necklace or earrings or brooches. And, you know, it's just something that was personal to her. So everybody's different. But I'm just saying that sometimes God wants us just like we are. Just like we are.